Matthew chapter 23, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. It says, Then Yeshua spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But as for you, do not be called rabbi because you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called masters either because you have one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. I've recently taken a break from the book of Luke, and I think I'm going to continue that break for a while longer because my mind keeps wanting to gravitate to some things in the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel. I love the gospels. I love the whole Bible, but I really love what we call the gospels or the evangels. And I think it's because I like to read and study the words of Yeshua. He is the word of Yahweh made flesh into a human being. And I find so much depth in his teachings, and that, I guess, should not surprise me, because after all, he's Yahweh's son, so it really shouldn't surprise me. But I still get surprised every time that I get into studying his teachings. They're beautiful. So today we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 23. I'm not completely sure where I'm going to end up in all of this, but I do know that I'm going to teach through Matthew chapter 23 for the next little while. And what we're going to see beginning today in this chapter is we're going to see a very harsh Yeshua. Very harsh. Now as we've been going through Luke's gospel, we've seen that our master is very compassionate and he's merciful and he's a friend of sinners who admit their sin and confess their sin and realize that they'll never be good enough and know that they need his righteousness in order to be justified before Yahweh. And that all remains true. Everything we've learned all remains true. But the opposite is just as true. That is this, is that Yeshua is very harsh on religious people. Very harsh. People who think that they have no sin. Men who think that they are head and shoulders above everybody else. Men who looked very pious and holy on the outside, yet they were filthy on the inside. These were the people whom Yeshua was harsh with, religious people. Brothers and sisters, true devotion towards Yahweh is never marked by outward show. While it is true that an inward change will produce genuine fruit, it is also true that someone can change outwardly to where it looks like they have changed. It looks like some fruit is produced, but in reality they have no inward change. Someone can look like they follow Yahweh on the outside and go through many of the motions, 
but not really have a new heart. We can make our outward appearance look, quote-unquote, holy in order to puff ourselves up or make men think that we're the most righteous in the community. But it does not make it so. We may look like we have real fruit, but the reality is sometimes we just have a bowl of wax fruit. It's not real. And Yeshua speaks of these type of men in Matthew 23, and He tells us to beware of the scribes and the Pharisees throughout this chapter we're going to see. And I believe that we still need to beware of people like the scribes and Pharisees today. And I believe that we also need to beware that we are not acting like the scribes and Pharisees today. Yeshua's words in this chapter still rebuke scribes and Pharisees today. Still rebukes them. So we'll begin in Matthew 23, 1 through 2. Then Yeshua spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Now, Yeshua is speaking to a large audience here. It says that he's speaking to the crowds, and I believe included in that word crowds are some of the scribes and Pharisees. When you read Matthew chapters 21 through 22, before chapter 23, you see that he has a lot of debates with the scribes and the Pharisees in those chapters. And I believe that some of those same scribes and Pharisees are included in the crowds that he spoke to here in verse 1. It also tells us that he spoke to his disciples, which probably means not just his closest personal disciples, the twelve. He had more disciples. You can see that in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. He had more students. That's what the word disciples means. He had more students than just his personal twelve. As we go through the chapter, realize that Yeshua is speaking harshly of the scribes and the Pharisees right in front of them. They're there. He's looking at them. And a lot of the things that he says, as we go through the chapter, a lot of the things that he says is pointed directly at their face. They're standing there, right there in his presence. He directly rebuked the men who seemed to be the most religious in the community at that time. The men who looked the most dedicated are the ones who got the sternest rebuke by our Master. That's sobering. So who were the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, the word scribe, or scribes, comes from the Greek word grammateus. That's where we get our English word grammar. You can probably see that. And it's primarily defined as a writer, a secretary, a clerk, or a recorder. Henry Joseph Thayer gives the following in his number two definition in his biblical lexicon of the New Testament. Quote, A man learned in the Mosaic law and in the writings, in the sacred writings, an interpreter, a teacher. Mr. W.E. Vine gives us this definition of the word in his lexicon of New Testament words. He says, It denotes a scribe, a man of letters, a teacher of the law. The scribes are mentioned frequently in the synoptists, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially in connection with the Pharisees with whom they virtually formed one party sometimes with the chief priest. And then he gives a list of scriptures that you can look up. And he's correct, because if we look up every use of the word scribe or scribes in the Gospels, we see that they're frequently associated with the Pharisees. A lot of times you'll read about the scribes and the Pharisees. But a lot of times you'll also read about the scribes and the chief priests. 
They were associated with the leaders in the Judahite community at that time. Then we have the Pharisees. They called themselves such because they believed that they were the strictest group within Israel. These groups, by the way, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they weren't called Sadducees because they were Sadducee. <laughs> they were, the word Sadducee actually comes from the name Zadok, Zadokians. They were descendants. The Sadducees were descendants of Zadok, which was an Aaronic priest. And they were kind of the leaders there inside the temple. But the Pharisees were looked upon as even more so of leaders in the community. The Essenes were another group. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes. These groups all formed after the Babylonian captivity between the time of prophet Malachi and prophet John the baptizer. This is why we don't read about these groups in the Old Testament. When you read through the Old Testament, you never read about the Pharisees or the Sadducees, right? Or the Essenes. And that's because the groups formed within a 400-year, approximately 400-year period between the time of the last prophet in the Old Testament, prophet Malachi, around the time of Second Chronicles there at the end, up until the time when Yohanan, John, the baptizer, came on the scene in the wilderness. During that time, these groups, these sects in Israel were forming. One of them was the Pharisees. The word Pharisee stems from the Hebrew word parash, which means to separate or to divide. And the plural of that word is parashim. That's where we get Pharisee. It's kind of a transliteration into English. And it literally means separatists. It would be like having a religious group today that called themselves separatists. That's what they called themselves in that language, parashim, separated ones. The Pharisees believed they were the pious, the most pious, the most holy, and the most set-apart followers of the Almighty. And because they believed this, they often would separate themselves from other people in the nation of Judah and also in the nation of Israel who they considered to be low class. Not that Yahweh considered them to be low class, but who the Pharisees considered to be low class. We're too good to be around you. That's basically the mentality of the Pharisees. Now, I'm of the belief that the Pharisees are the originators of Judaism. Now, sometimes we hear people speak of the faith of the Old Covenant Israelite saints, and they call that Judaism. That is not correct. Many Old Covenant saints were from the tribe of Judah or the house of Judah and they were followers of Yahweh and His law, but that is not Judaism. Judaism was a religion that formed at the same time that these groups were forming between Malachi and John the Baptizer. Judaism is a religion that developed after the Babylonian captivity and it was and still is today a mixture of some semblance of Yahweh's law, very minute today, maybe very minute back then, but some semblance of Yahweh's law and an acceptance of the traditions of man that often overturned the law of Yahweh, bringing it to nothing in order to hold fast to man-made tradition. By the way, in the time period or the days of Yeshua, one mark of Judaism was a rejection of Yeshua as the Messiah. There was one guy, you all know him very well. He was a member of Judaism, and he was a Pharisee before he was converted to the Messiah, to belief in Yeshua as the Messiah. Saul of Tarsus, 
they would have called him Shaul, also called Paul. Pharisee of the Pharisees, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was from the house of Judah even. He was a member of Judaism. Galatians 1, 13 through 14 talks about how that he excelled in Judaism. But Judaism is a false religion. It's not the religion of the Old Covenant, and it's certainly not the religion of the New Covenant. W.E. Vine says this about the scribes and Pharisees in his Dictionary of Biblical Words. He says that in their regime, piety was reduced to external formalism. Only that was a value which was governed by external precept. Life under them became a burden. See, the scribes and the Pharisees were very knowledgeable men. They were very smart, intelligent men. But they were only focused on the outward particulars that people could see and then praise them for. They loved the praises of man. They were only concerned with appearing to be holy rather than really being holy. They were not concerned with holiness before Yahweh. They were concerned with other people thinking that they were holy. They focused none on inward repentance from sin and genuine purity of heart. They did not pray like David, creating me a clean heart. And it was because they thought they were already clean. And to them, their outward show proved that. Now, what's this about the chair of Moses in verse 2? Let's look at verse 2 again. We'll read it again. It just simply says, Yeshua is talking, The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Now, whenever I read that, my mind automatically goes to Exodus 18, verses 13 through 16. Let's read that. Exodus 18, beginning at verse 13, it says, The next day Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this thing you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge? while all the people stand around you from morning until evening. Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of the Mighty One. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them the Mighty One's statutes and laws. Moses is sitting, acting as a judge, a teacher in Israel. He sits down to judge. Matthew 23, verse 2 says the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. This means that they are basically imitating in the first century A.D. what Moses did many hundreds of years prior back in Exodus 18. That's what it means that they're seated in the chair of Moses. Now, customarily at that time, the time of Yeshua, when the law was read, a man would stand up and he would read the law. But when the law was explained, a man would often sit down and explain the law. We see this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where that Yeshua sat down there on the mountain and he began to teach the people. A lot of times we have it in our mind that if a man's going to teach a Bible lesson, he's got to stand up behind a pulpit. All that, is you can't find that in the Bible. It would be no problem if this pulpit wasn't here and I had a chair and I just sat up here and was just talking to you. There'd be no problem with that. I know it might not fly well in modern-day Christianity, but there'd be no problem with that at all. This is how it was done customarily at the time of Yeshua. Let me mention here that there have been some old synagogues found. The word synagogue just means a gathering place. Okay? There's been some old synagogues found from the early centuries A.D. where on the inside of that synagogue 
was found a stone chair in the front of the gathering hall. Now this may have been, some scholars believe this might have been actually called the chair of Moshe, the chair of Moses, in which the scribes and Pharisees would sit and teach the law to the people on the Sabbath. Now the fact that it was the scribes and Pharisees who were seated in the chair of Moses in Yeshua's day does show their status as leaders among the people. However, leaders can become corrupt in their deeds. We see that all through the nation of Israel in the book of Kings and Chronicles. We see corrupt king after corrupt king doing what was evil in Yahweh's sight, especially from the house of Israel, the northern tribes. As a matter of fact, I can only think of one king that was part righteous out of all the kings mentioned in Kings and Chronicles from the house of Israel. You had a few in the house of Judah that did that which was holy and right in Yahweh's sight. But in the house of Israel and the majority of the house of Judah, you had these kings that some of them might start out good or some of them might just start out just bad from the get-go. You can have corrupt leaders. You can. Nonetheless, these men, the scribes and the Pharisees, were considered the law teachers in Judah during the first century A.D. Now, let's get back to Matthew 23 and look at the next verse, verse 3. Yeshua is still talking and he says, Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Do whatever they tell you, Yeshua says. Now, I'd like to focus some on this word, whatever. Some people have seen this word, whatever, and have been taken back a little because the scribes and the Pharisees sometimes would tell, oftentimes would tell people, a lot of things that were the traditions of man not found in the Bible, not found in the law of Yahweh. Now, I'm one of these people. At times, I've been taken back by the word whatever or whatsoever in Matthew 23, 3. Now, let me give you my understanding of this verse. We can read the Bible, but if we don't have understanding, it doesn't matter. Above all thy getting, get understanding. So, I'm going to give you my understanding of the verse. The verse begins with, therefore... And the word therefore, old Pentecostal preacher told me one time, anytime you see the word therefore, ask yourself what it's there for. <laughs> Son? I said, yes, sir. And he's right. It means on the basis of what I've just said. When you see Yeshua say therefore, he means based on what I've just said, then he gives a statement. And remember, he's just mentioned that the scribes and Pharisees are the ones that seated in that chair. They're seated in the chair of Moses. So on that basis... Therefore, do whatever they tell you. The understanding is that you are to follow what they tell you from prophet Moses. So long as they're in line with the teachings of Moses, so long as they do not contradict what Moses says, which, remember, what Moses says is Yahweh's law through Moses' mouth. Hopefully we all know that's why it's called the law of Moses. There's nothing wrong with calling it the law of Moses. Yeshua called it the law of Moses but it means that it's Yahweh's law through the mediation or the mouthpiece of the man, Moshe. So long as they're in line with prophet Moses and the law, you're to listen to them and obey what they tell you. Here Yeshua is teaching the crowds and his disciples, obey the law. You're to be obedient to the commandments. Now if we don't take this understanding of Matthew 23.3, then we have a conflict between what Yeshua says here and what he said earlier in Matthew chapter 15 in the same gospel, the same book. 
Matthew 15 is the chapter where the scribes and the Pharisees question Yeshua and they ask Him, Master or Sir, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders and don't ritually wash their hands before they eat bread? And Yeshua goes on to defend His disciples. He does not want to offend the scribes and Pharisees. Basically, He says they don't have to do that. That's a tradition. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, and that means you don't have to ritually follow their hand-washing tradition before you eat your bread. That's not what defiles you. That's what Yeshua is saying in Matthew 15. And then Yeshua turns right around and rebukes them for breaking the commandment of Yahweh to keep their tradition with the fifth commandment honoring their parents. They weren't doing that properly. So Yeshua in Matthew 15, a few chapters before Matthew 23, is defending the disciples for not doing something the scribes and the Pharisees taught. Hopefully you catch that. This means in Matthew 23, Yeshua must be talking about do whatever they tell you as long as it's in line with the teachings of Moses in the law or else Matthew 15 and 23 contradict. Now, it's interesting that this view was the view of the writers of the Geneva Bible translation. The Geneva Bible, by the way, was the Bible of the pilgrims. It's the Bible in the 1500s, English Bible. This was before the King James Version ever came about. And the Geneva Bible footnote on Matthew 23.3 reads, quote, provided always that they deliver the doctrine of Moses which they profess, which thing the metaphor of the seat shows which they occupied as teachers of Moses' teaching, end of that quote. A lot of older commentators agree with that statement as well. Now I want you to notice the last part of Matthew 23, verse 3, where Yeshua says, don't do what they do. He begins by saying, observe what they say from the law, but not what they do. Why? Well, he tells us, because they don't practice what they teach. They read you the truth from the law of Moses but they don't obey it themselves. Now, what is very interesting is that many people in Christianity today, and even in the Messianic movement today, believe that the Pharisees were really strict law keepers. Very prevalent in the mindset of professing Christians today. You know, I've been called a Pharisee before, uh, maybe sometimes rightly, <laughs> other times not so rightly. Because if somebody calls you a Pharisee for obeying Yahweh's law, that's a misapplication of the term. Misapplication. The Pharisees were not strict law keepers. They looked like law keepers. They appeared to be holy. And yes, they did observe the outward laws or the letter of the law found in the books of Moses. If you saw a Pharisee, he would have on a long tunic, a long robe. He would have on long tassels, large phylacteries, and he would be very well versed in the law. And he would have a great part of the law, if not all of it, memorized. Where he didn't have to read it, he could just quote it. The Pharisees, very knowledgeable, scribes as well. Yet, all of this, and Yeshua tells everyone, do what they say, but don't do what they do. <laughs> that proves that they were lawbreakers. They were lawless. They were not law keepers. And what Yeshua is showing us here is that the law is much more than externals. 
a lot more than externals. I'm afraid that the same Pharisee mentality plagues the pro-law movement today. Many feel that just wearing tassels makes them Torah obedient or just not shaving the beard makes them Torah obedient. Now, it is true that wearing tassels and not shaving your beard, men, is in the law. That's part of the law. After all, Yeshua wore tassels and he didn't shave his beard. Yeshua is not abolishing these outward matters of the law. He's just saying that these things are not where righteousness begins or ends. There are more important matters within the law that were often neglected by the Pharisees then and are often neglected by us today. What good is the wearing of the tassel? Remember, the tassel is supposed to remind you to keep the law. So what good is the wearing of the tassel by a Pharisee or by somebody today if we're going to go around slandering our neighbor or mistreating a widow? That tassel becomes meaningless. What good is the not shaving of the beard if at the same time we have a hateful, bitter attitude in our hearts? Or we always complain about everything? What good is a phylactery or writing the law on your doorpost like Deuteronomy 6 says? You've got them on your doorpost, but what good is that if you are not showing mercy to the repentant man or helping the needy and the poor, helping out the least of these, our brethren? Well, the answer is they are no good in these cases. As a matter of fact, they become a stench in the nostrils of Yahweh. It would be like me treating my wife wrongly all year long and just giving her up the road, physically abusing her, mentally abusing her, and just treating her just terrible. And then all of a sudden, after about a year, I show up with a rose there and I give her that rose and she's thinking, that rose is a stench in my nostrils. I, you know, I want you to treat me properly like a husband is supposed to treat his wife. That's what Yahweh says in Isaiah chapter 1 when he talks about how the Israelites were neglecting the weighty matters of the law and then they would show up on the Sabbath or at the feast days or the new moons and they would act like they were the holiest. And Yahweh said, these things stink to me. I don't want all these things. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Well, that's the same thing with things like the tassels or the writing of the law on the doorpost or the phylacteries. These things don't mean anything if we're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Outward morality is meant to be a manifestation of what's on the inside. Not a show of pride, piety, or a better-than-thou attitude. The symbol or the outward aspect of the law becomes meaningless if it's done for the wrong reason. The symbol or the outward aspect of the law can be accomplished without the inward change of the heart. It's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They had the outward symbols, but they meant nothing without the inward reality. So Yeshua considers the Pharisees and the scribes to be lawbreakers, and that's why He says, listen to what they say when they are sitting in Moses' seat, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They're lawbreakers, they're not law keepers. If you're going to look for an example of how to live, don't look to a scribe or a Pharisee. Yes, you is saying. He considers them hypocrites. Now, he hasn't called them hypocrites yet, 
but he will many times in the chapter call them hypocrites. And the first of which is found in Matthew 23:13, where he says, But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And the Greek word, hypocrites, from where we transliterate that in English as hypocrite, originally it denoted a stage actor in a Greco-Roman play that they would have back then. The Greco-Romans would have the plays, and Greek and Roman actors and actresses would often be on the stage, and they would have a mask in front of their face. And they would disguise their voice or even sometimes, even at that time, use some kind of mechanical device to talk higher or lower. And the word originally meant just a play actor, somebody that pretended to be someone else on a stage when they played a part in a play. The word later came to be used of someone who claimed to be one thing in their life, but they were only pretending. It had a derogatory use in the New Testament where they were a pretender, a play actor. In other words, when you saw them, they looked holy, they looked righteous, they talked pious, but it was like they had a mask on and they were disguising their voice and they really weren't like that in reality or in real life. So let's look at the next verse, Matthew 23, verse 4. Yeshua says, They type heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. At one time in my studies, in my life, I believe that this was referring to the man-made traditions of the scribes and Pharisees that they attempted to put on people. And these traditions were a heavy load and they were hard to carry. And while the traditions of the Pharisees were indeed numerous and they were heavy and they were hard to carry, I now, at this point in my studies, because we continue to study, we never should think that we have it all down. We always go back and we study and we restudy and we look deeper and deeper into the Scriptures. I now do not believe that is what Yeshua is speaking of right here. And I want you to think about this with me in context. Yeshua has already said that the scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. He's told us, do what they say, but not what they do, they tie up heavy loads. Yeshua's talking about Yahweh's law. Do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads. He's telling the people to follow what they're saying from the law, but don't follow their lifestyle because they're pretenders. Now think about this as well. Whatever the heavy load they are putting upon the people is, Yeshua says that they themselves don't lift this load with even a little finger. Is this their traditions? No. They're meticulous in their traditions. When they did that ritual hand washing, it wasn't just putting your hands under the sink and you know rubbing them a little bit. They actually believed, the Pharisees believed, you can research this in the history of Israel, they believed there was an evil spirit named Shipta that lived on their hands. And so before they would eat, they would have to wash that spirit off of their hands. I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm just saying this is what they believed. They would wash that spirit off of their hands because they didn't want that spirit touching the bread and then the bread going into their body and then the spirit going into their body. And it wasn't just you know a little bit of water. It was so, so many pours over this hand and so many dips in with this hand. And I've got it in one of my books. I, I outline all the steps that are taken nowadays by people that are part of the religion of Judaism today which stems not identical with, but it stems from Phariseeism in the first century. They still practice these things today. 
So they're meticulous in their traditions, but they don't lift the law with a finger. So then, the written law, the law of Yahweh, is the heavy load that they put on somebody's shoulders. Now, let me explain that, because right off the hand, that might not make sense. But I think once I explain it, it will. What Yeshua is teaching us is that there is a wrong way to teach the law. Now, Yeshua was a teacher of the law. He taught obedience. And when He taught obedience, He taught the law as a guide, a way of life, and that was accompanied with grace and mercy for the broken-hearted, repentant man. Luke 18, 9-14. The Pharisee prayed one way, the tax collector prayed, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's the only two ways to pray. There's no other ways to pray. You either pray like the tax collector or you pray like the Pharisee. If you pray like the Pharisee, you go home, you're not justified. You pray like the tax collector, have mercy upon me, turn your wrath from me, Yahweh, a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to forgive other people that have sinned against me. That man or that woman goes home justified. Yahweh's law, when Yeshua would teach it properly, was a way of life, a guide, that was accompanied with mercy and grace for the repentant man. The Pharisees and the scribes taught the law as a checklist that justified a person. It was an impossible checklist. They used the law only as a hammer to pound down on everyone to a pulp, never including mercy and long-suffering into the equation. And if I showed up here week after week and taught the law in all its perfection, and just hammered and hammered it over and over without ever telling you about the Old Testament verses. The Old Testament verses about Yahweh's mercy and His forgiveness and His compassion on the broken and how He doesn't turn away those with a contrite spirit or a shattered heart. If I never told you about all those verses and I just hammered you and hammered you and hammered you with the law every week, it would become a heavy load on your shoulders that would be impossible for you to carry. And the reason it's impossible for you to carry is because you would realize that you can't do it. You would realize that you're a sinner, that the law, Psalm 19.7, is perfect and you're not. You'd realize you don't measure up. You're not perfect like Yahweh is perfect. You're not sinless. You would realize these things, and if I just kept hammering you, I would be the one, as a teacher, that was unwilling to even use a small finger to move your burden. See, this is a metaphor. The law is pictured here as a heavy load laid on somebody's shoulders. And the Pharisees are said to be unwilling to even use one of their fingers to lighten the people's load. That's a metaphor. That's preaching the law without the gospel. It would be like me taking you outside after the service tonight and tying a 300-pound backpack onto your shoulders and saying, you've got to carry around that backpack for the rest of your life without giving out. Now go. And you look at me like, well, okay, I guess I'll try. See, the law is actually designed to crush you. It actually is designed to do that. The very first use of the law, there's three uses of the law. And the best way to remember them, one word definitions, a mirror, a curb, and a guide. The 
first use of the law is the mirror. You look at yourself in the mirror and you see your blemishes. The law shows you that you're a sinner. It condemns your sin. The law condemns your natural heart. What does Yeshua say actually defiles a man? It's definitely not eating without ritually washing your hands. That doesn't defile a man. We know that. What defiles a man comes from inside of you. Everybody in here, sitting here, what defiles you comes from inside of you, not outside of you. Listen to the words of the Master. Matthew chapter 15, 18 through 20. Yeshua says, But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. All of us sin because our fleshly nature wants to sin. Don't pass that buck to the devil. Amen. Don't pass that buck to your neighbor. I sin because mama, or I sin because granny, or I sin because of cousin whatever. Don't pass that buck to them. Don't place the blame on your neighbor next to you or say that it's all Satan's fault. Amen. You sin because it's what you want to do in that moment. Thus saith Yeshua. You're defiled. Everybody in here is defiled in their natural heart, the one that you're born with. It's not clean. It's not good. It's not new. That's why Yahweh, if you're going to be saved, He's got to give you a new one. He's got to give you a new one. That's why David prayed, create in me a clean heart. David couldn't create that heart. Yahweh had to do it. We sin because it's what we want to do in the moment. Your heart desires to commit an evil act, and that's because your natural heart, the one you're born with, is evil. As a matter of fact, you and I, we're all much worse than we think we are. We would be condemned by our thoughts alone, not even our actions. Our actions condemn us too, but if we left those out of the equation and only put our thoughts up on the screen, they would condemn us straight to Gehenna, every single one of us. It's only the restraining grace of Yahweh that keeps us in check. So, so the law is there first to condemn us. That's the first use of the law. It is to show you that you are a sinner. And you know, if I stopped right there in this sermon, and then I preached the same thing next week, and the week after that, and on and on, it would be like I'm throwing a heavy load on your shoulders and I'm doing nothing to help you lift it. But by Yahweh's grace, He has revealed to me the need for preaching not only the strictness of the law, but also the sweetness of the gospel. And the gospel is also found in the law. Paul says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's the righteousness of faith. Not of deeds, but it's the righteousness of faith. Faith in Christ. All true teachers follow Yeshua's example of teaching both the law and the gospel. Not just the law, not just the gospel, but both the law 
and the gospel. And that's because the law discovers our disease and the gospel gives us the remedy. The law condemns you. It reveals your sin. It shows you that you're condemned. But the gospel, the message about the Messiah, frees you from condemnation. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in the Messiah. The law says do, perform, measure up, and it's perfect. I'm not talking about, there's not even a sliver of unrighteousness in the law. It says do, perform, measure up. The gospel says Yeshua did it, Yeshua performed, Yeshua measured up for you, for you. The gospel is the good news that your sin, your evil heart, all of those things that come from inside of you, in your heart, all of those things in you that defile you, all that can be washed away and be made clean by the work Yahweh has done through His Son. Though your sins be as scarlet, He comes and washes them as white as snow. Though your evil is red like crimson, He makes you white like wool. Thus saith Yahweh to Israel. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Though your evil is red like crimson, I will wash it away. That's beautiful, isn't it, Brother Tim? This is the mercy that must accompany the teaching of the law. Yes, the law must be taught in all its perfection, and it must hammer you, it must kill you, but if you're laying there on the ground and you're hammered and you're beat and you're bruised and you're torn and somebody just keeps hammering and beating you and bruising you and tearing you over and over and over like a scribe or like a Pharisee, that load is too heavy for you to carry and that load is too heavy for Brother Matthew to carry too. It's at this point you don't need to be torn. You need to be put back together. You need to be mended. You no longer need the bruising. You need the ointment. Hosea 6 verse 1, Come, let us return to Yahweh, for He has torn us, and He will heal us. He has wounded us, and He will bind up our wounds. That's the law and the gospel in the Old Testament. Hosea 6 verse 1. And that's why we're here. We are not here to hurt one another. We are not here, definitely, we're not here because we're all perfect in the law, that's for sure. There's no such thing as a perfect church. I told a man one time, I said, if I ever found a perfect church, the minute that I joined it, it would become imperfect. (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. There's no such thing as a perfect teacher. I'm here to help you and to lead you and to guide you, and I'm here to do the best I can to fulfill the qualifications and the requirements for a teaching pastor in the congregation. But if you're looking for somebody that does everything in the law and doesn't ever make any mistakes, then you're not going to find it here. You're not going to find it in me. You're only going to find it in one man, the Son of Yahweh. That's You need to put all your faith in Him. Don't put any of your faith in Brother Matthew. Put all your faith in Yeshua the Messiah. I'm just one beggar trying to tell other beggars where they can find some bread for free. We're here because we all need help and love and mercy. Coming to a new covenant assembly is not saying that you have have it all figured out. It's not saying that. As a matter of fact, it's admitting that you don't have it all figured out. That's why you're here. The assembly should be a place where you can 
Let everything be out in the open because we're not here to, to judge. We're here to help. That's what we should be here for. To help, to encourage, to teach, to ha- cause to understand. Not to, not to tear down, not to bruise, not to beat. The Pharisees and the scribes loved to bruise people. They loved to hammer people. You know why? Because it made them feel puffed up. Made them feel good. I'm going to go hammer this sister or this brother for a while. It's what they did to the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. I'm going to let's hammer her for a while. They weren't concerned with justice. They were trying to figure out a way to get Yeshua executed. They weren't concerned with justice. The Pharisees loved to hammer people, beat them to a pulp with the law. They taught the law as a checklist to see if you're justified. They taught that the law is what justifies you, and they completely left out mercy. But yet Matthew 23, 23, we'll eventually get to that verse. Verse 23 of the chapter says, Mercy is a weighty matter of the law. Of the law. Read it if you don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Matthew 23, 23. He tells the scribes and Pharisees, you've left it out. The weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. The scribes and Pharisees did not care about even using a small finger to help ease the burden of the people. They wanted to keep the people up under their thumb so that they could feel superior to them. Not the right attitude. They taught the law in its full force. And when they saw people break, tear, and hurt, they could have said this. They could have said, this would have been the right thing to say, when you see somebody break, tear, hurt, and repent, they should have said, take heart, dear child, it's okay. There's forgiveness, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. He will in no wise turn away. There's mercy with Yahweh. Take heart, be encouraged. He forgives, and He forgets. I use this law and gospel with my children when I teach my children. More so when they're smaller, as they get older, praise Yahweh, they don't need as much. But when they're smaller, and even now, some of them need more law. But when I see them break, and I've not always done this perfectly as a dad, because I need grace for being a parent too. But when I see them break, I don't need to beat them over the head with more law. I need to say, come here, it's okay. Daddy loves you. Daddy forgives you and Yahweh forgives you. It's okay. Daddy's done wrong too. Daddy needs forgiveness too, just like you. So the Pharisees could have said these things and lifted these burdens off of the broken person's shoulders, but they didn't say it. Instead, they just kept on loading the people's shoulders down with more law. Let's get more weights. Let's put it on their shoulders more law and justification for them. And they weren't even keeping the law themselves. Yeshua says. What a joke. Yeshua condemned them for this. Brothers and sisters, children, sons and daughters of Yahweh, take heart, be of good cheer, because our Master, our Messiah, He's not a Pharisee. He does teach the law. But he also teaches the gospel. He teaches both the law and the gospel correctly. And if you come to him today in faith, and tomorrow in faith, and the next day in faith, and all the days in faith, and you're broken, and you're humble, and you confess your sins before Yahweh the Father, and trust in his Son, you'll go home today 
and every other days justified in His sight. Just like the tax collector. There's a lot more I could get into. I thought I would make it through verse 12, but if I tried to cover verses 6 through 12 or 5 through 12 right now, we'd be here for another two hours. So we're going to stop it right there. I'll pick this up next week in verse 5. If you want to get a head start, you could read verses 5 through 12. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh, Father, I love you. I thank you and I praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his message. Help us to believe in the law. Help us to believe in the gospel. Father Yahweh, help us to, when we teach the law, let us teach it like the master and not like the Pharisees. And let us always believe in the weighty matter of the law, which is mercy and faith. I love you, Yahweh. I love your son, Yeshua. It's through him I pray to you. Amen.